0: Uniquely, Luke. We are in Luke 5 on the calling of Peter. Here we go. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, speaking of Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's another name for Peter. And asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, hide me behind your cross. Holy Spirit, go into our hearts. Take the scalpel of heaven and cut off all those things that would hinder us from the fullness of what you have for us. We trust you now, God. Fill the house, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen, Amen. you may be seated. So the title of the message is Leaving Everything. It says they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. So point one is the gospel calls us to leave everything. Everything. Here's how the gospel functions Jesus left everything in heaven, came down, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, and then the Bible says that God demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus gave everything, even to his own death on a cross. He died in our place. He died for our sins. He is risen again from the dead and he's inviting us to follow him. But it only works if we leave everything and go all in for him the way that he went all in for us. So there is a game. Well, there's a show called the World Series of Poker. Whether a pastor should be watching this or not, I have no idea, but um, (laughs) they only play one game. And the game is called Texas Hold'em. And I love it but just because of the excitement of it. But there's two guys that commentate it, Tony and Vince. And they're hilarious. They commentate everything that's happening as well as the personalities of those playing. And it's just funny. But the way Texas Hold'em works is you can go all in at any time. And if the person with the most chips goes all in, Everyone else at the table has to, to, to stay with them, has to go all in. They have to risk everything they have. They put all of their money on this one hand. And if they're out, they're out of the whole tournament. But it's, it's all or nothing. And the, the ritual is, is when you go all in, you stand to your feet. And so when the, when the, top, the, the top guy with the most chips stands up and says, I'm going all in. Goes to each person, and, and they show you their cards. Too. So you know exactly the hand they have. You know if the, if the, the main guy is bluffing or not. And, and each one of them, they can't make a partial bet. They can't say, well, I'd go in this much, or I'd go in this much. No, it's, it's all or nothing. Now, because it's such a big decision, they get time chips. They get 10-second time chips. So they get five of them. And so, so it's time. You've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. And they play time chip. Now I've got 10 more seconds and then stress builds up again. Another time chip, another time chip. in, because the only response to the one going all in is to go all in yourself. So here's what I've noticed in Christianity. In most of Christendom, we are... We accept Jesus as a gift for free. We get the free gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for me. I accept the free gift of eternal life. And then we try to reinvent the call to be less than all in. We try to say, I'll give you this, and I'll give you this, and I'll I'll do this much, and I'll I'll do this much, but not that much. And I'll do this. And the the Lord is standing. He's gone all in. And he takes all of those little maneuverings as like another time chip. And it's not that you're not going to go to heaven if you die. You'd go to heaven. But I'll tell you this. Your Christianity won't work. It will not work the way it's supposed to work. It only works when you go all in. This is, this is how the Christian life was designed to work. When you're all in, there is a flow that comes to it. Now, in Luke chapter 14... 25 to 35, Jesus is sharing this. That it, He says this to the multitudes. If you want to come after me, here's what it's going to mean. You're going to have to hate mother, father, wife, children, even your own life. You're going to have to give everything. Every relationship has to become submissive to this. The, the word hate there is the strongest word. I mean, obviously God's command is for us to love everybody. And we're to honor our parents, but but... In comparison to our love for him, everything else has to come under that. And then he says, he tells about this tower, and he says, before you start building a tower, decide if you've got enough to finish it. Otherwise, you're gonna start it, but you won't finish it, and you're gonna be mocked for it. And then he gives this illustration. This is in chapter 14, verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation with the other while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So Jesus is giving this illustration you're a king. And the truth is, we're all born into this world and we become our own little king. We're in charge. We get to decide. It's called free will. Everybody gets to decide what they're going to do. Well, there's, there's another king, it turns out. And he's got a big army. He is the king of all kings. And you have to decide if you can make this thing work, if you can make your life work, if you can get a win in life without submitting to this king that's got all these superior resources that you have. And, and if you realize that his kingdom is bigger and his authority is greater and you're not going to win this battle, then you come to him and you, you get terms for for peace. And here are God's terms. Absolute surrender. Here's the terms for peace. You want peace with God? Here's the terms. You have to give up everything you possess. Every relationship you have, all of your wealth, all of your stuff, everything. You don't get to own anything anymore. You are now you get to own him. And he owns everything else and you just steward everything else in your life. But you, he now has the right to everything. It's called unconditional, absolute surrender. He's not going to make peace with you on any less terms than that. Now, I want to just, I want you to consider for just a moment how big your army is compared to God's. This is, this is Proverbs 21, 30, and 31. There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can succeed against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. There's no energy you have. There's no dream you have. There's no plan you have. There's no insight that you have that he hasn't already thought of, and it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. It doesn't matter how great your horse is, how fast it is, how beautiful it is, how big it is, how great your method is, or your, the, the thing you're adapting to, to resolution to make your life better. Not going to work without him. Sorry, folks. He's the king of all kings. Your life's not going to work without him. He's arranged it that way. He has created you that way. Uh, happy is the person, the king, who surrenders early. And doesn't have to lose a bunch of troops and lose a bunch of battles. Surrender sooner. Make peace. This is just how it is. Mark chapter 8, verse 20, 35 For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. You and I are called to give up our lives. We do something here almost every week where we raise hands if you want to accept Christ. And, and I make a big deal about it being private. It's between you and God. And, and, and because I don't want anybody ever accepting Christ because somebody else wants to or to, to, to appear. Or it's between you and God. Now, there is this public dimension of coming to Christ. It's called water baptism where you get baptized in front of everybody. Where you say, in water baptism, um, Jesus was all in for me. Now I'm all in for him. And when you go down in the water, that's called the watery grave. I'm dead to myself. I'm dead to my plan. I'm dead to my power. And when you come out of the water, I'm alive now by his resurrection power. And his, it's his plan that we're running. And, and I'm doing it publicly. And I don't want to get baptized. Well, listen. Jesus went to the cross and hung on it publicly for you. He stood up and went all in. And and, and baptism is you standing up and saying, I'm all in too. I'm all in. I'm not going to hold anything back. If you have not been baptized, I'm calling you to get baptized. I'm calling you. Next Sunday is the class. The Sunday after that is the baptism. Go public. Go public. The gospel calls us to leave everything. That's, That's point one. Here's point two, last point. There's a reward for leaving everything. Mark chapter 10, 28 through 30. Let me, let me give you the context before I read it. So the rich young rulers come to Jesus and he said, uh, you know, good master, how do I inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, you, you, you're lacking. He, tells, he lists all the rules that he's keeping. And Jesus says, you lack one thing, sell everything. Follow me. And actually, it actually, Jesus, it actually says that Jesus loved him and said, sell everything and follow me. But what he asked made him sad because he owned a lot of stuff and he had a lot of property and, and it just made him sad. And so he walked away and Jesus said, those who have a lot, it's going to be really hard for them to make it because Jesus has no problem with us having stuff. He doesn't want stuff to have us. And when stuff has us, he'll, he'll take that scalpel and he'll start, start cutting it away. And so then Peter says this, hey, what about us? What, 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 what about us? We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So this is right from Jesus. Whatever you give up for him, you're you're gonna get back. And not just a little, you're gonna get a hundred times back. Here's, Here's his promise. In this life, your life is gonna be 100 times better than it would be without me. Amen. I'll guarantee it. He notes every person that excludes you, every family member that rejects you. He notes everything that you gave up, everything you sacrificed. He notes it and said, said, oh, they, they did that, they gave that up, they let go of that, they took that. that. Okay, all right, let's start multiplying. So I'm gonna give you six rewards. Number one is relationships. Here's what God says to you. When you put him first above every other relationship, he now brings you into his family and you have relationships all over the world. Everywhere you go, there are Christians. Everywhere there are, go- and, and, and it's amazing how quickly your heart will become knit to them. People that were complete strangers, people that don't even know our language. You start talking to them through an interpreter, all of a sudden they're hugging you and they're all over you. And it's just like, whoa, the, these, these people, these people love me how crazy is this? And some of them are old. They're they're mothers and fathers and some of them are younger and they're they're like sons and daughters. And and all of a sudden you've got this extended family. And even though we have limited time down here, you realize, oh my, these people are going to be my family forever. Wow. We were at national convention a couple weeks ago and we, had been in, we were in Foston for three and a half years, and one of the ladies who was the, an older lady in the church then, Christine Hansen, was there, and she was at convention. She's got to be in her mid-90s now. She comes up to me. She says, Tom, I love you. And she just <laughs> grabs me like this, and I'm like, this feels so good. This feels so good. Homes and lands. Did you know that when you're a believer, God opens everybody's homes to you? (laughs) You now now don't just have your own home. God will have you stay at this home and this lake house and this resort. And it turns out God owns a lot of stuff. (laughs) And and it's amazing as you serve him that he'll open up opportunities and you're in other people's homes and other people's cottages and, and you don't even have to pay rent because God owns it. God owns it all. And he said, I'll, I'll share. Everything I have will, be, will become yours. And then thirdly, with persecution. So he says, you're gonna, your life's going to be 100 times better with persecution. What does that mean? Here's what that means. Your life is going to take on so much purpose that the kingdom of darkness is going to hit back. You're going to now have meaning in your life that, that as you live your life, as you walk in the light, as you obey God and whatever thing, that people, the darkness is not going to like it. And, and darkness will raise up people and raise up things to try to attack you. And you're going to feel, wow, I'm in a war. Amen. See, if your goal, if the goal for your life is to be safe and comfortable, don't follow Jesus. Amen. Peter, stay with your fishing business. Just stay with your fishing business and just let it be your fish. But Peter, Peter left everything. He went on this with adventure with God and he saw all kinds of miracles and experienced all kinds of persecution. He ended up dying a martyr's death. Church history tells us that he died. He he was crucified upside down. He didn't want to be crucified in the same way Jesus was. He, he, He didn't want to take on that honor. So they did it upside down. He changed the world. God's not calling you to be comfortable and safe. He's calling you to change the world. He's calling you to have a reason to get up every morning that's just like a fire. He has a life of meaning for you, a life of purpose. I'm not saying we're all called into full-time ministry, although we kind of are. Because <laughs> whatever job you do, you also are in the kingdom, and you're, you're advancing. In fact, is businesses are actually the, the front lines of the kingdom of God. This is like the huddle in football. What we're doing right now is the huddle. We're calling a play and then you're going to go out and take the kingdom of God everywhere. Number four. So we have relationships, we have lands and houses. Then we have meaning or purpose in our life. Number four. Oh, and when this life's done, you get eternal life. Oh, by the way, you'll never die. You are going to, my eternal life, I'm sharing with you. And you will share my resurrection. You'll have a resurrected body and you will live forever with God. And I can't explain all of that right now. But uh, no eye has seen, no ears heard, no, it, nor has it entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love him. And guess what, guys? Of your existence, 99.99% will be in eternity. This is just a breath. Bible says this is like a vapor. This is like a breath. It's a big deal having eternal life. All of a sudden, there's not so much pressure on this life. I've got I've to gotta live my life. I've got to go for the gusto. I've got to get it up. No, you really don't. You're, you're really, you don't have to be that great down here because you're going to live forever. Number four, and I like this one. Are we at five? Number five. Like I said, number five. Divine efficiency. So... I am, in the Myers-Briggs, an ENTJ. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. But one of the things that we value almost as a virtue is efficiency. Jesus has a new way he wants us to live. Peter has fished all night long and caught nothing. Nothing. He is not fishing for fun. He's a fisherman. This is how he pays the bills. This is how he pays taxes. This is, this is his business. The fact that he fished all night long tells us things are real tight. It's a difficult time in the fishing industry. He's got bills to pay. And he's gone all night long. Now he's washing nets. And I know how men work as he's washing them. He's thinking about how horrible last night was. And I've got to go home, get a nap, get a bite to eat and get back out there because it, it, bills don't pay themselves. And, and Jesus at that time asked for the boat. Can I borrow the boat? Oh boy. Oh boy. Go ahead. Jesus takes the boat. He's tr- Peter is trying to focus on what Jesus is saying, but he's thinking every once in a while his mind's going back to the fact that it was such a horrible night, da, da. What, I can, what I've got on my schedule. I, I know men. I know how men's minds work. Anyway, all right, Jesus, go ahead. Go ahead. Are you done yet? Jesus gets done. Peter, thank you for the boat. Hey, put it back out and put the nets out over there. Not going to work, but you're the master. So we'll go ahead and do it because you said so. And all of a sudden, they're not fishing all night. They're not even fishing for an hour. They just put the nets down, and so many fish jump into those nets that both boats are filled with fish and sinking. Now that's what I call divine efficiency. Where where, where God helps you with your business. With God helps you with your part. Psalm 127 verse 2 says this. It is vain for you. To rise up early and go to bed late. Eating the bread. Of anxious toil. We in America. We've got half the country wants a gift from the government. The other half has been told. It's just hard work. You can get whatever you want to. You work harder. You work longer. You, you do it. And so we've got this anxious toil that is keeping people up at night and I need to take a pill and I need to do this because I got to work harder because the bills are coming and I've got to get ahead, and I can't just pay the bills. I got to get ahead, and I got to get this and I got to get this and I got to accumulate and I've got to, and the, America has given the promise, hard work will do it, hard work will do it. Well, of course, the Bible is all about working hard. We're all about hard work and doing it for the Lord, but not anxious toil. Not work, not trusting work instead of God for your, for your life. there's a different way to live, where God helps you do your part, where you take more time to focus on him, more time to keep him in the middle, and you trust Him to help you work out the other things. So here's what happened. Back in 1987, I was an investment broker straight out of college. It was really, it was the job that was offered to me, so I took it because I wanted to get married. Alice and I wanted to get married. and I need, My parents wouldn't let me get, a job, get married without having a job, so I'm like, I'll take that job. It wasn't the greatest setup. It was, it was straight commission, so no salary. In fact, I had to pay rent to be in the office space, and 50% of my commissions went to the organization, and I'm 22 years old. Who's going to invest with a 22-year-old because of his great financial wisdom? Anyway, so I'm I'm calling through the phone book. I'm just trying to make this thing work, and uh, and we end up having two kids. It's 1987 when I get called into the ministry and say, yes, we will go down to Grand Attour, Illinois to be the youth pastor. And, but there, there is a problem. And here is the problem. We are making just enough to pay our bills, pay our tithe, pay rent. I have not been able to set one penny aside for taxes. Now taxes, the actual income tax, not that big of a deal, but self-employment tax for an independent contract is 15% of everything. And you're supposed to pay it every quarter. You're supposed to put it in every quarter. It's March. I am going to be leaving the ministry to go down there. And I have not paid a dime in self-employment tax. So the last week that I'm an investment broker, I make more money in that one week than I had made pretty much the rest of the year. Everything got paid for. The taxes got paid for. The moving truck got paid for. The rent got paid for. Everything got paid for. Guess what? God knew. God knew. My biggest catch was the last catch, just like Peter. Peter all Peter's bills got paid with that, just that one catch of fish. God knows what your business is. God knows what your needs are. God knows what your anxiety is. God knows what you are going through. He's got you. So I have all these journals. I write in my journal every day, put the day down, write what's going on, what happened yesterday, prayer requests, whatever. Just part of my little time with God. So I've got probably 60 of these journals. They're just everywhere. And um, on Fridays, I get to have a longer quiet time because it's my day off. I get to be there as long as I want to. One of my favorite things to do is reach down into these stacks of journals, just pull one out and find out what I was doing at another year in my life. And so this week I pull out, it's a green notebook. It's 2014. It's actually just a few months of, I don't, I can't fit a lot in each journal. So it's a couple of months of 2014. I start reading day by day what's going on. And I'm like, wow, I was under a lot of stress. I was afraid all the time, praying about fear every day, discouragement everywhere. I'm like, what What is going on? And then it comes to me, oh, I know what's going on. I know what's going on. I had this experience at the beginning of 2015 that was the answer for my life in 2014. Here was the experience. I, I had a pastor in Fond du Lac, asked me to come. They were having their prayer and fasting week at the beginning of the year, and he wanted me to do Sunday night. The, the week would start on Monday, fasting and prayer, but he wanted me to light the, light the candle on Sunday night, and I'm like, love to. So I go down there. I'm, I'm going to preach my favorite message on one thing, the Martha and Mary thing about living your life at the feet of Jesus, focusing on enjoying and delighting in Jesus, and and uh, it's right before the service. I'm pacing back and, forth, back and forth in their hallway. And I'm getting the message ready. I'm thinking in my mind how the altar calls. It's going to just be great. This is going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden, I get interrupted by God. And the reason why I know it was God, it, it, just, it was just in my thoughts. It wasn't an audible voice. But it was so counter to everything I was telling myself. Here, here was the stream of thoughts. You're good at preaching this, but you don't live it. Now, when God tells you something like that, there's no sense in defending yourself. There's no, but what about, what about, uh, no. Once he says it, it's done. It's like, okay, that's true. And it was true. It was absolutely true. But there was a reason. There is a reason why my whole life was preparation. And I told God what the reason was. I said, Lord, this is a big church and there's the internet and people are listening. And and if I make a mistake, it is going to be multiplied many times over. I can't afford to say something wrong. And so all my time is being spent, all my free time is, I'm trying to make everything just right. Here's what he said if you'll choose the one thing, choose to spend more time at my feet, wasting time at my feet, just delighting with me, just being with me, without any thought of anything else, if you'll take more time doing that, I'll help you with your part. And then three things came and I just wrote them down. Number one, you're going to do less and accomplish more. You're going to speak less and say more and you're going to rationalize less, and you're going to risk more. That's the life of the one thing. I wrote it down. I said, you're on. And from that time to this time, (laughs) this is going to sound horrible. I don't worry about sermons anymore. I honestly, I don't work that hard for sermons. I, I just, I get to Wednesday, and it just kind of comes to me. And and I write it down, and I, I write the sermon out, send it off, because all our people need it, our poor computer people, because um, I'll send it off on Wednesday, but on Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, I, have, I, I now have absolutely no allegiance to what I have written down on Wednesday. None. I'll change the whole thing. I'll cut the whole thing out. i will God, this is your thing. This is not about me trying to... Look good or say, it, this is about you speaking through me and, and you say whatever you want to say. And I, honestly, he usually just cuts out most of my sermon. He says, just say this. This is what I want to say today. I love it. Do you know what River Rising is? We get this River Rising service tonight. We, I, was with, I was with a young man call, that's called into the ministry. I said, are you coming Sunday? He said, yeah, I'm coming. I said, good, you can learn not from us, But you can learn with us how to let God be more and more in the middle. Because River Rising is an experiment. It's an experiment. As God pours out his Holy Spirit, it's going to be less and less about us. It's going to be more and more about him. It's going to be more about risk, more about whatever you want to do, God. We're not telling you what we want you to do. You do what you want to do. We're just wanting you to do stuff. We want you to be free in our midst, Jesus. What if Jesus was free to do whatever he wanted to do? If you want to know what it looks like, read the Gospels. Jesus is free. When he was on this earth, he was free everywhere he went. People got healed, people got saved, people got delivered. The kingdom came. Religion got broken everywhere Jesus went. How many know that's what America needs? We don't need more church services. We need more of Jesus divine efficiency all right number 6 freedom from our pride peter sees that miracle clearly something that they did not do only god could have done that he says these words depart from me lord i'm a wicked man and i get it i i when i first got saved <laughs> I I was so sure I was going to fall away. I'm like, I am not the type of person that should be saved. I'm so filled with myself. I'm so proud. I have so much arrogance. I'm like, God, I just don't think I, how am I going to stay saved? And he's like, just do it one day at a time. I'll deal with the pride. I'll deal with that, that self thing. And this is what he says to Peter. He says, don't, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of your darkness. I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll, ta- I'll handle you. I'll do I'll take care of it. Jesus has this way. He says, come to me. I'll give you rest. That's an experience. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm humble and I'm meek of heart and you will find rest in your life for my yoke is easy and my burden is light i'll teach you how to live i will i will remove i'll take my scalpel out and i will remove pride from your life and i will get you to learn how to live in this place called grace god gives grace to the humble there's he can multiply grace there's no limit to his grace but he needs humility in us and and so naturally we have pride and so he's got ways of removing it so so peter starts following him and peter is all in he's left everything time talent treasure peter is all in but something subtly starts rising in peter um called pride and it gets so bad that every time these guys are alone they start arguing about which one of them is the greatest he is going to be the greatest Christian ever. And Jesus has kind of given some fuel to it by saying, Peter, you know, on this rock, I'm gonna build the church. And, and you're kind of, he's kind of the head guy, and but it really climaxes at the Last Supper. And Jesus, Jesus is, is saying, You guys are all gonna, you're all gonna abandon me. And, and Peter's, Peter's like, Lord. First, I want to agree about all those guys. They will probably abandon you. I could totally see them abandoning you. So I just want to agree with you on that. But I would like you to know that I and I alone will die for you. I will, I will, I'm the real deal. And Jesus is, Jesus is like, Peter, 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 um, you're going to have to deny me three times before the rooster even crows in the morning. You're gonna to have to fall way farther than everybody else is gonna fall because I, I'm, I'm, I'm that committed to you. And so that's what happens. He goes, he denies Jesus three times, utterly humiliated, broken, in John chapter 21, he actually, for the first time, goes back to fishing. And he's a leader. He takes everybody with him. They're all back fishing again. They had been called. They left everything. We're going to be these kingdom. We're going to bring the kingdom. Now, let's go back fishing. Everybody goes back fishing. But they're not catching anything. So Jesus, one of his resurrection appearances, he calls out to them. And here's what he says. Have you, have you children, have you caught nothing? Who's this guy talking to us from the shore really tormenting us with how little we've caught. No, we've caught nothing. Put it over on the other side. Stupid. (laughs) But we're catching nothing on this side. Throw it over to the other side. Boom, the nets are all full. Deja vu. (gasps) They go, it's the Lord. (laughs) This is is our call. This is how we got called originally. It's happening again. And so, so they get in there, and they're around this fire. Jesus is cooking fish. And Jesus says these words to Peter. Peter, do you love me? And, and our English translations miss what's going on because what he actually says is, do you agape me? Do you have self-sacrificial love for me? Are you willing to die for me, Peter? Here's what Peter says to you back. Lord, I phileo you. I have a fond affection for you. Jesus says a second time, Peter, do you agape me? Do you have a self-sacrificing love that's willing to die for me? No, Lord, I have a fond affection. I really like you. Feed my sheep, shepherd my flock. I I know how shallow your love is. I know that you're broken. Feed my sheep, shepherd my flock. The third time he says, Peter, do you phileo? Me, do you, just, do you just kind of have a fond affection for me? Peter's like, that's what I have. And Peter's actually angry. Lord, you know that's what I have. That's all I have. And then in the next verses, Jesus says, Peter, the time's coming where you will have agape. You will actually give your life for me. You're, you're going to make the ultimate sacrifice for me. It's powerful. Feed my sheep, shepherd my flock, tend my lambs. Three times he denies them. Jesus calls him back three times. So then Peter says this. He's just been told he's going to die for Jesus. And here's what he says. This is John 21, 21. What about him? (laughs) What's going to happen to John? These guys have this little competition going. Now, I know they do because in John chapter 20, verse 8, here's what it says. It, it says John is writing and he says that they were running to the tomb and uh, the other Peter and the, and the disciple Jesus loves, are running, which is John, are running to the tomb and the other disciple beat Peter. <laughs> Why do men always have to compete? Is everything a competition? And then I thought it was just men. And then I realized, this morning's Bible reading is, is from 1 Samuel, and it's Penina and Hannah, and Penina is just trash-talking Hannah all the time. I'm better than you. I have kids. You can't have kids. Da-da-da-da-da-da. da making Hannah cry, and, and Alice and I were watching this show. I thought this was hilarious. This woman says this to her fiancé, thanks a lot. You made me appear weak in front of your sister. And he's like, why is that a big deal? You don't get it, do you? Your sister is accomplished, gorgeous, and smart. She's every other woman's worst nightmare. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, this competition thing, it's not just men, it's women too. Listen, listen to the words of Jesus to Peter. Whether he lives or dies, what's that to you? You follow me. You don't have to compete with anybody. You don't have to keep up with anybody else. You don't have to measure yourself by how somebody else is doing or what somebody else thinks. You just get your eyes focused on me. Here's what the Apostle Paul said. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I am what I am by the grace of God. I labored more than all of them, yet it wasn't me. It was the grace of God with me. Guys, here's the gospel. Jesus wants to give us, he wants us to to leave everything because he wants to give us everything. He wants to pour his grace into us. He wants to set us free from all the different insecurities and fears of competing and surviving in this world. He wants us to just... I am what grace has made. God says about himself, I am who I am. He is the self-sufficient source of all things. We are what we are by the grace of God. Not competing, not trying, not measuring. Just I am what I am by the grace of God. And the assignment that God has given me to do, he's going to help me with. I'm going to do it with his grace. His grace is the engine that I'm going to do everything with. This this is the gospel that he's calling us all to. All right. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to have communion now, and um, ushers are going to come. If you didn't get one of these communion packets, just raise your hand, and, and we'll all get it. But before we do, I want to prepare us for communion. Paul said, whenever you're about to eat the bread and drink the cup, you need to take a time to examine yourself. And so here's the examination. All these songs are wonderful, aren't they? You can sing about being all in, you're all I want, we we want you, we want you, nothing else. I'm holding on to nothing, I'm climbing the mountain. These are all wonderful, wonderful songs. Here's the problem. God knows whether it's true or not. You can sing anything God looks right through the song To what's actually in our hearts And what, what he's encouraging us to do Is examine our hearts am I, am I all in? Have I left everything? Or am I still in the competition That the world's in? Am I still filled with anxious toil Trying to keep up with everybody else And trying to get as much God And as much of the world as I can Or am I, am I, am I all in?